As you're seated, I want you to join me in reading just one more text together. This comes from Psalm 103, beginning with verse 10. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Lord, we all sense your spirit here so clearly tonight. We just ask now that you would open up our eyes and our ears, unlock our minds. You would reveal to us the secret chambers of your own heart, God, to make your ways and your words known to us, frail, sinful people, desperately in need of your mercy, but yet tonight feeling such hope as you draw us into this season of repentance, as you draw us into this season that um, takes us into the death that makes resurrection possible. Speak to us now, Lord, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I am as new to the whole practice of Lent as anybody. I didn't grow up in a tradition where we where we really did this. And um, so I don't know, in some ways for me, that makes it all the more special these last few years, kind of going deeper into this practice. I know Lent's about a lot of things, but for me right now, it's really about two things in particular, just two words um, that I want to talk about for a few moments tonight that for, for me at least right now really summarize what Lent is about, at least these days. And those two words are simply this, frailty and romance. That for me is what Lent is about right now, frailty and romance. A couple years ago, I was in the deepest, darkest season of my life, and um, looking back, I think honestly thought, um, really felt like I was on my way to some kind of a nervous breakdown. Uh, my life was falling apart. I was falling apart. And I got on the internet one day, kind of on a whim, just looking for some place I could go to just get away and decompress and hopefully clear out some of the clutter in my head and in my heart and somehow find a way of just connecting to God from where I was. So I found this little Catholic retreat center in San Diego, California, and was able really within less than a week's notice somehow to get out there, spend a few days, just came in so, so battered and so ashamed and just wrestling with so many demons um, I, just, I didn't know what to do with. And there was a lady there, a nun, um, I refer to her as the Ignatian Ninja. Her name was Sister Anne, and she was my spiritual director that week. We met every morning for about an hour or so, and she would give me these different, these different assignments to do during the day. And it was, really, um, it was really something. I feel like everything that she asked me to do was about perspective in some way. She, one day she sent me to walk the San Diego cliffs, and... I would just sort of meditate on um, how I experienced the spirit out there in the, kind of on the rocks, feeling the wind and the waves and uh, taking small rocks and throwing them into the ocean that represented my own sin, my own failure, my, all my anxieties, trying to kind of recapture some, some sense of scale again. I remember one day in particular, 
that I was on at this beautiful point that kind of overlooks the city. And immediately to the right, there's a graveyard. And to the left, you see the ocean and the city. And it's really beautiful. And I just had this moment where I think for the first time in my adult life, I think I really contemplated my own death. I think for the first time, I really, really, I'm looking out at the the graveyards and realizing, just had the sense that, wow, I really am going to land there one day, just like anybody else. And as big as my life feels right now and as high stakes as everything feels, realizing my life in the grand scheme of things is very small, that being reminded of this God for whom, you know, every day um, so many people are being born and dying, and he's always been there. He's still here. All of that just keeps on going with or without me. And I remember just this sensing my smallness in a way that didn't feel you know, condemning, it was the sense that my life didn't have significance, but like it was really wonderful. Like I think I needed to feel small. She gave me other assignments though too, because so much of it was just, again, kind of scale and perspective. She would tell me at night to wrap up in a blanket and to literally imagine that blanket as the embrace of God, that the blanket is the spirit, to wrap up in it. And just, and I would do that, put that around my shoulders and just honestly sit in a rocking chair alone and weep. And just kind of abiding in the presence of God in that way. I remember one day in particular that she told me, especially this whole thing of frailty, you know, the sense of scale and size that we're not nearly as big as we think that we are. That's so much of what Lynn is about. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We, we came from dust. Dust is where we're going. This is supposed to give us a sense of perspective again. And she told me this one day. I'll never forget. It was so simple. But I've, this was honestly pretty life-changing for me. She said that to God, we're like ants. I mean, he loves us, but we're like really important ants to him, but we're like ants. And he's, all these things that feel so epic to us, our failures and our sin seems so enormous. Our victories, our successes all seem so large. And she said to me, Jonathan, like when you, your, your sin, your failure to God, that's no different than when, you know, a two-year-old goes to the bathroom in their diaper. Like it's just no, it's, it's no bigger and no smaller. God sees this all the time. It's not surprising or whatever. Like, like it's, it, so in that sense, it's smaller than you think. But she said also, your successes kind of work the same way. And she knew about the book I'd written. She said, just like your book. That for God is like the scribbling of a two-year-old child. And you hand it over. And he's proud of it because he's just proud of you no matter what kind of picture you draw. Puts it up on the refrigerator and says, isn't that sweet? Isn't that nice what Jonathan did? Like that's the best case scenario. See how that works both directions? Much smaller than we think. Uh, the, the sin that so easily besets us, that for us seems so devastating. Not, not so for the Lord. Small in his sight. He's already made provision for that. But yet at the same time, the things that we're proud of, the things that we think are great about us, the things that we think that we do well, all of that, a lot smaller than we think too. The bottom line is we are very frail people. And if we're going to really have any sense of perspective on our lives, on who we are and who we're called to be, we have to have an intentional season to set aside some time to really reflect on that, to really think about what it is to be, very, to be so frail, to be so small, to be so created. Uh, we, we, we fill our lives with so many different kinds of voices. We have so much noise coming at us. Every single moment is filled with some kind of noise, some kind of outside voice, um, people that pull on us, social media, news, all these voices competing for our attention, that these basic facts of life, these basic facts of who we are, are easily lost unless we set aside space to remember. And I think that's a lot of the, what this is about. Right now, it often feels like the world revolves around us. That's the way it works inside your own head. In your mind, 
you're the star, everybody else, they're all extras. And the person sitting next to you, they also are kind of the star of their own interior movie. Everybody else is an extra. And then we come to this season in Lent where we actually have this wonderful revelation. We're all extras. You hear what I'm saying? We're not running things. This whole wonderful world, this whole beautiful, terrible world goes on with or without us. We are so much smaller than we thought. And that doesn't come to us as condemnation during Lent. I think that comes to us as grace. We realize how dependent we are. We realize how much we need the Lord. We realize how much we need each other. Even these practices of fasting, putting things aside, it's to put us in touch with that native sense of dependence again. That we're not meant to just run our lives. We're not meant to run the world. We're not meant to run anything, you know? We are much smaller than we thought. God runs the show. We're all extra. So frailty, I think, is so significant. But the second thing of romance, which I know sounds so random, except this is where really that kind of revelation comes from for me. The, the, so much of the idea of Lent in particular, I mean, we start with Ash Wednesday, but Lent really is commemorating the 40 days that Jesus spends in the wilderness. So the idea is that we kind of join Jesus in the wilderness. It's really the whole, se- the whole season that goes into the cross and the resurrection. But the wilderness in particular is so much of what this is about. So like this Sunday, that'll be the lectionary text, is all about the wilderness. How immediately after uh, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist and the voice comes from heaven that says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, the spirit sends Jesus in the wilderness. He's tempted and tested by, this, by the devil, by Satan while he's there. But Satan does not lead Jesus in the wilderness. The Spirit does that. In the same way that now, the Spirit is the one that leads us into the wilderness. So yes, the wilderness is a place where we have to encounter our own loneliness. It is the place where we have to come to terms with our own sin. It is the place where we have to look in the mirror and look at some things about ourselves that are really hard to see. But that's really not the point. That it, it's kind of a... It's kind of a side effect. That's what the wilderness does to us. That's part of the challenge of it, but that's not the point. God has his own initiative for the wilderness. God has his own reasons to draw you into the wilderness. And with that in mind, I want to go to one more text, Hosea chapter 2. This comes in the midst of a book that is so much about the heartbreak of God. This is a book that really is grounded in the open wound of God's heart for his people, God's own sense that his people have betrayed him. I mean, these are texts that are sometimes difficult to read because they're so scathing. It's like you don't just get God's, you don't just get some kind of petty anger. What you get is a God who howls in pain because the people that he loves, his beloved is inflicting such, such pain on his own heart, and it's so raw in the text. Hosea 2 in particular, the, ch- the verses that precede where we start now, are incredibly difficult to read because there's just such a sense of the agony of God, the heartbreak of God, the anger of God in this moment. And in the middle of all this pronouncement of judgment that you get in Hosea 2, finally you get to verse 14. And these couple verses have been truly life-altering for me. Hosea 2 beginning with verse 14 says... Right in the midst of all that, God says, therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert, some translations will say into the wilderness. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing 
as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies and they will respond to the earth and the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine and oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. That is God's perspective on the wilderness, is that this is the place that God wants to allure us. The wilderness is the place where God wants to seduce us. The wilderness is the place not where God screams at us because God never screams. Everybody else is screaming at us. The wilderness is the place where God whispers to us in the way that lovers whisper to each other. The wilderness is a place of intimacy. The wilderness is a place of romance. And part of what makes this a little bit hilarious is that we always are quick to identify the wilderness with judgment. So there's this sense of like, we go kind of kicking and screaming in the wilderness because we just assume it's going to kill us. No, it won't kill you. It'll just feel like it's going to kill you. <laughs> See that difference? You might feel like you're dying, but you're not really going to die. Yeah, it's true. Like there's something about that wilderness space because what happens is once you get quiet is that all the real stuff starts to get stirred up. I try to go on a solitude retreat about once a year where I'm completely silent for a week. And let me tell you, the first two or three days feel like my soul is throwing up. Like I hate life. I hate everyone. I hate everything. Because all these things that kind of lay sedentary that I want to keep buried for a reason, because I don't want those zombies coming up out of the yard, God starts pulling on all that. When I don't have anybody to talk to and I don't have my Twitter feed or whatever else, actually, I, really, I, I want to run to all that. I just want to go, get, just get me, get me someplace where there's Wi-Fi. Let me escape this so I don't have to deal with me. I mean, it's, it's, it feels dreadful. But the truth is, wilderness is a place of intimacy. Once you get past that initial storm, once you get past that initial discomfort, the whole focus, the whole reason that God draws you into the wilderness is so he can allure you and entice you. One of even, I think, the great misgivings about fasting is that we think about fasting. Anything in this season that we think about giving up for God, we still tend to think about that as bartering with God in some way, right? I had this image the other day where I really thought, we think of God like we're in the Godfather, you know? It's like we need to pay him off to protect us. You know, like, here, I'll, I'll give you my ties if you just won't give my kids cancer. I will, I will pray. I will do some stuff during Lent. If you'll, just, if you'll take care of me, if you won't let anything bad happen to me, like, like God needs to be bartered with. He, he's the one who makes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. You don't need to barter for anything, <laughs> You don't have to earn it. It's not about that. It's not about that. What wilderness time is all about, what Lent is all about, is creating space for the one who calls you beloved. 
Keep in mind, just before Jesus goes in the wilderness, that's what the voice of his father says. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's the voice that he wants to make clear and crisp to you in the wilderness. It's about recalibrating our lives in such a way so that that still small voice becomes clear again. It's about clearing space. It's about making room. And so, again, the other thing that's like really hidden about fasting is that fasting actually is not really just about discomfort. David says in the Psalms, at thy right hand is pleasure forevermore. God is full of delight and pleasure. And so the thing I think that we often miss when it comes to fasting, because we get hung up on the superficial discomfort of it, is that the times that we fast are actually an opportunity to feast on God. We are putting aside some kinds of pleasures so that we can get to, reach, to richer pleasures. I'll be honest with you. I'm driven enough by pleasure in my life that if I feel like this whole season was simply about, I don't know, depriving myself and being miserable for the sake of being miserable, I am out. I am not into that. I am far too hedonistic for that. I'm going for deeper pleasures than the ones I have currently. I want deeper pleasures than the adrenaline of the Twitter feed. I want deeper pleasures than the superficial noise and stimulation. I know that I have a God who actually wants to prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So, man, I just, good Lord, I'm preaching right now. I want to, I have to push back from some other tables so that I can get to the table that he's, thank you for that, Brent. Dear Lord, I just need a handheld mic right now and I could really take this thing somewhere. That was amazing. I have to push back from some table so I can get to that table that he's prepared for me in the wilderness. It's better food. It's richer. It's more sumptuous. Uh, It's it's this thing of, um, I didn't mean to go this far into all this, but I've got another minute or two more. Uh, I grew up a big fan of Marvel Comics, and I love Daredevil. Does anybody know who Daredevil is? Daredevil is the superhero who, if you don't know his origin story, it's very different from other superheroes because he doesn't have superpowers. He was blinded when he was a kid, and so it caused him from the time he was very young, his other uh, senses become much more acute. So that's the whole deal behind Daredevil. A blind person who now has kind of really enhanced other senses because he's taken the time to develop them. And I really think that there's something for me about that, even that kind of Daredevil story. I know that's a, the most random illustration ever. <laughs> Though that really, to me, that's what these kind of seasons are about. One sense is deprived so that the other senses can become sharper. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. It's, 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 it, 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 it creates something wonderful in us. It gives us this kind of space for God. And I just feel like, and I really am going um, really to land here. I just feel like God is so, for some of us, I think God is, I think God gets kind of giddy about Lent. I think God gets excited. Remember the language of Hosea 2 is about courtship. I think God gets the butterflies of, of, of a first date here because God knows the good things that he has in store for you. God knows the ways that he wants to bless you. He's just been desperately waiting for you to get still and quiet enough to where he can actually tell you the things that he's longing to say, to where he can actually reveal the things to you that he longs to reveal. Like, he's so eager for this. And all of the, and, and the, the thing that we look at with kind of dread, we just don't know what lies on the other side of that veil if we allow ourselves to enter deeply in. Not, again, that there won't be discomfort, especially on the front side, but it gets so much richer and better because there's so much delight that God has for us here. We're so afraid of getting out alone in the wild 
where we're gonna have to deal with our own frailties, our own sin, our own imperfections. Because we're afraid then all that that somehow God's gonna judge us. The things that get stirred up kind of from the dredges of us, that's frightening to us. Does it frighten God at all? He doesn't see us that way. But we don't know that unless we go in the wilderness and we have that kind of space with him. Until we have that kind of time, we're always assuming that he's put off by these things. And he's just, and he's just not. He just, we always talk about wanting to be in God's presence and wanting God's presence. How much God wants you in his presence. How much he wants you to just be with him, to abide with him. I really believe this. There is an open wound in the heart of God where the father just desperately wants his sons and daughters to just come home, just to come close. Some of you think he would, his word for you tonight very simply would be, he misses you. Of course he's close because God's always present. But we don't live awake and attentive to him. He misses you. He misses your company. He misses your laugh. He misses your attention. That's what this is about, is setting aside that kind of space so that we can draw close to him in that way. So um, a, a few months after the experience I described where I went to San Diego, I had one other experience that was weird and I don't have time to set the whole thing up, but I just felt like I should share this tonight, even though I feel, feel like it makes me look a little silly conceivably. A few months after I'd left the church that I founded and, and uh, planted, um, several months later, I found myself flat on my back in a yoga studio wearing an eye mask. Another story for another time how that came to be. <laughs> how a Church of God Cleveland, Tennessee pastor is in a yoga studio. And of course, and if you think that sounds horribly scandalous or whatever, well, you know, I did too. I just thought like, man, I am really, th- this is what my life is now. I'm on my back in a yoga studio. Like, man, dear Lord, the, the strangeness of what wilderness time does. But I, that was, I, I was there, and I was doing this exercise where I was just kind of focusing on breathing, essentially, because I was desperate. That's the bottom line. I was desperate. I was still at such a low place and willing to try anything. And I had that night um, flat on my back in a yoga studio, I had this profound revelation of the love of God. It's still hard for me to put in words. I felt just flooded by the love of God in a way that I don't think I've ever felt before. I mean, I was just flooded by love is the only way I know how to say it. And at that time, I was temporarily living in my parents' house, which is really awesome when you're 36. And I was, I had had, uh, they had just recently got a puppy. Puppy's name is Gabby, and she was still like in the middle of like real puppy stage. Like she's super hyperactive, and she just wants to jump on you all the time, just wants to lick you all the time. You know that beautiful thing about dogs, right? Those eyes that behold you without any judgment whatsoever. They're always happy to see you. Just that's that's the face of Gabby. Just uh, just always eager. And I felt like as I was lying there and having the sensation of being flooded by the love of God, I had this, and this kind of thing doesn't happen to me often. I had this like burning image of Gabby, like right in front of me. Like I could just see her face like right there. And the only way I know to say this, and I know it sounds super weird, but I'm already in it now. It it was like that Gabby's face was a manifestation of the love of God for me. I mean, I I just, I, I saw the love of God in and through that face. Here's the conversation that's actually happening right now. I think we really do need to leave the church this time. We've talked about it for a while, I think. Like, <laughs> I, I, you know, it was like that, that image was just, so, was just so there and so, so profound. And as clearly as I've ever heard the Holy Spirit in here, not an external voice, but a, a very clear ver- a voice in the interior, this is what I really believe I heard. Jonathan, 
why won't you just come out and play with me? Why won't you just come out and play? Don't you want to play with me? I'm at the lowest place of my life, feeling like God's thousands of miles away, and that if he is going to talk to me at all, surely he wants to give me a lecture. And what I hear is, why won't you come out and play? Don't you want to play with me? I really believe that that so much is what this wilderness time is about, pushing ourselves away from some other kind of delights so that we can learn again what it is to delight in God's presence so that he can reveal to us the deeper things, so that we get in sync with his heartbeat again, that God who misses you so much, that God who just longs to draw you close, not to punish you, not to chastise you, but, to, but just for, to allow his love to just explode onto you. That, do, that God who, <laughs> I almost Freudian slipped there, that dog who, <laughs> that God who, like a dog, I hope that doesn't sound sacrilegious, but to me there's something very beautiful about that. That God who is like that level of excitement and eagerness to have you in your presence. I'm not saying he's wagging his tail. That'd be taking it too far. But this just that same kind of delight. That God who, you know, the moment his sons and daughters come over the horizon, there's no, it's like the, the father in the story of the prodigal son running after you, leaping for you. Like there's no respectability. There's no credibility. He's not austere about this. You know, he's not stern. Running off the porch to get to you. He's so eager to have this kind of time with you. He's so eager to have you again in his presence. So whatever it is that you feel like God's calling you to lay down or set aside, please, please, please hear this. The whole point, the whole point is pushing deeper into the presence of the one who calls you beloved. That's what it's all about. He's not coming with anger. He's not coming with judgment. As a God who loves you and knows what's best for you, here's what some of the things I think he might be saying to us. Will you come out and play with me? Could you put down your phone for just a few minutes? Come play. What if you skip lunch? What if you skip lunch today and just me and you get together? Why don't we rendezvous somewhere? Why don't you carve out some space just for me? Why don't you skip that optional coffee thing and share that time with me? Would you be willing to get up a little earlier in the morning just so we could have some time, just the two of us? That's what Lent is about. And anything that you set aside, that's the whole purpose, is things that would just be barriers, obstacles to keep you from being in the presence of the one who loves you and tells you who you really are. It's a time for discernment. It's a time for clarity. It's a time to listen again, how to listen to the voice of the one who loves you. Stand with me, if you would. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., or 11.30 a.m. If you would like more information about who we are and what we're about, or to partner financially with what God is doing through Sanctuary, you can go to our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com. You can also download our mobile app from the App Store and Google Play. We hope you'll join us next week. Grace and peace.